The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Listening to the Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC and Disney Plus series Doctor Who, and today we're discussing the Fifteenth Doctor's 2023 Christmas special, The Church on Ruby Road. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, and Jimmy Aiken. Howdy, Dom, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Jimmy. Uh, folks, be sure to write an Apple podcast review and share a podcast for your friends. That is a huge thing that helps us a lot to grow our community and reach more listeners. Uh, we have lots of feedback on our recent episodes, including on The Giggle. Uh, so you stick around to the end of the episode for that. And another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy, if you enjoy this one, is The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets so before we get to our discussion of the church on ruby road there's just a couple of bits of news i wanted to mention the first is that we now know when the first full season for the 15th doctor is going to be mm. uh and that looks like may of 2024 i think that was official right uh all i saw at the end of the episode was spring of 2024 but which yeah. that would fit yeah I thought I saw an article that where they, they actually said May, but at least in the spring, just April is spring. We could have or March even. That would be nice. <laughs> um, so there's that. And then uh, another one that you brought to our attention, Jimmy, uh, uh, sad, some sad news. Um, what was that? The actor who played uh, uh, Captain Mike Yates from the third Doctor's era has now passed on. He also and I'm forgetting his name at the moment, but um, Richard Franklin. Also, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, because it's the same as the Doctor on Babylon Five, <laughs> um, and he also apparently played a character on Emmerdale, which I've never seen, and he also had uh, had uh, had tried being a politician, um, mm -hmm. which was interesting. Um, he was a member of UKIP, the uh, UK Independence Party, among other things. And um, I I knew him as Captain Mike Gates, though. And so, um, you know, sorry to hear of his passing. Uh, he also did some work for Big Finish as Mike Gates. And so there's some additional stuff, you know, besides what you saw on the screen. And I haven't listened to that, but I'm aware of it. And um, and so. Uh, so, yeah, he's passed on to his reward and, uh, you know, everybody can say a prayer for him. And he um, he you know, I mean, he was a traitor, but uh, <laughs> but he, he, he redeemed himself in the end. Yep. <laughs> yes, yep. he did. Yep. God yeah. Really. He passed on on Christmas Day. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. May he rest in peace. Yeah. And Father Corey and I have not yet spoiled for Dom how Mike Yates Yates is a traitor, but <laughs> nope. they'll, they'll, we'll get there we'll soon. Get We're there. not that far away. Yeah. 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 There's not a lot left of the third doctor uh, from our stories. Um, awesome. So uh, thank you for sharing that. So let's talk about the uh, church on Ruby road and Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this episode? This week, the doctor does the classic Christmas movie. It's a wonderful life. 
we meet Ruby Road, uh, sorry, Ruby Sunday, a 19-year-old woman from modern-day London. So that's a super shocker for a new mm. companion. Ruby was a foundling who was discovered years ago on Christmas Eve at a church on Ruby Road, hence her name, Ruby. Uh, she was adopted by a woman named Carla Sunday, who has fostered many children. And in December of 2023, Ruby starts having bad luck. Unknown to Ruby, all of her accidents are caused by goblins. On Christmas Eve 2023, the Sundays get a new baby to foster, a little girl named Lulabelle. But while Ruby is minding baby Lulu, goblins kidnap her, her, the baby, and start to haul her up into their magic skyship. At this point, Ruby meets the 15th Doctor, who has been secretly shadowing the goblins' activity. Together, they rescue baby Lulu from the goblin ship to keep her from being eaten by the goblin king. The doctor explains to Ruby that the goblins are low-level time travelers who find things tasty if they're connected with luck and coincidence. So when they discovered Lulabelle was going to be delivered to the Sundays on Christmas Eve, and that Ruby was also a foundling born on Christmas Eve, they went back in time a month. This allowed them to start causing Ruby's bad luck, weaving her into the event and making the baby more tasty. But with the baby rescued and the doctor and Ruby back at the Sunday home, they start realizing that there are even bigger coincidences, like the doctor meeting Ruby with the doctor himself being an adopted foundling who doesn't know who his true parents were. And he's here on Christmas Eve. This leads to the goblins doing something even more dramatic, and Ruby mysteriously disappears while no one is looking. The doctor then gets to see what the world would be like without George Bailey. I mean, without <laughs> Ruby Sunday. Carla Sunday doesn't remember her and has led a very unhappy life, only having fostered a few children and those only for money. The doctor deduces that the goblins went back in time to the Christmas Eve when Ruby was found and have stolen her and eaten her, altering the timeline. He swears he will fix it and goes back in time to confront the goblins. Using a pair of gravity gloves, or mavity gloves, he pulls the goblin ship out of the sky, and the goblin king is skewered to death on the church steeple. The ship then starts to disintegrate and vanish. The doctor catches baby Ruby and makes sure that she is found by the priest of the church. He then returns to 2023 and finds the timeline restored. However, the doctor wonders if he was the real source of the bad luck and starts to leave in the TARDIS. But before he does, Ruby deduces that the Doctor himself must be a time traveler. She goes outside to find him, and a neighbor woman, Mrs. Flood, helpfully points her towards the TARDIS and wishes her, good luck, Ruby. Then, when Ruby gets into the TARDIS and it disappears, Mrs. Flood turns to the camera, breaks the fourth wall, grins, mischievously says to the audience, you never seen a TARDIS before? And winks. The end. <laughs> Portentous. Uh, Father Corey, what'd you think of this one? This was just fun. This was just a lot of fun. Um, it was just, you know, a good, enjoyable story. Uh, it, it just, yeah, I, 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 that's not all I'm going to say about it. It's just fun. I just really enjoyed it. Okay. Jimmy, how about you? Yeah, it was fun. It wasn't the best Doctor Who I've ever seen, but it was way far from the worst. Yeah. And it was, it was fun. You know, I, I wouldn't say it was perfect, but it was fun. I think it's an auspicious beginning to the 15th Doctor's run. I think that's that's good. Um, I think it's uh, it's 
I was glad it was a smaller story. It wasn't, you know, planetary consequences or universal <laughs> consequences. It was a small story about a couple of people. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like you can have a story where one person is under threat <laughs> and uh, it can work if you care about that person. Exactly. Uh, it didn't have a bigger twist or something larger. It kind of felt like um, I, my wife and I were watching it and, you know, she remarked it, it felt like it went kind of quick. It wasn't like a that the, you could have done more. But I think with a story that has to introduce a new doctor, a new companion, new Sonic and, you know, all of that. I think it was enough story f- for that. So that was good. Um, it a little bit reminded me of the 10th Doctor's first episode, his the first Christmas special that they did mm-hmm. a New Who. Um, I actually didn't like that one. I think this is way better than the 10th Doctor's first first Christmas special. I agree. I agree. Um, less because he, he laid in bed for almost the whole time. <laughs> right, right. And there was less regeneration madness and all that other stuff, too. Yeah, I think uh, this one um, worked better than that. Um, but I think I think the comparison par- comparison is apt, though. I mean, just it's, it's, it was a simple story, just like this was, and you know, mm-hmm. so it had a bit had bit, a better killer Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. It did have a better killer Christmas tree. Yes, um, there was. Uh, I, I should explain that yeah. in the original, some of the early David Tennant Christmas specials, they had animated Christmas trees that would like violently rotate and kill people and with their spinning and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, this, this, in this one, we have a Christmas tree with a metal star on top and it falls over and kills someone. And yeah. then the doctor goes back in time and stops that from happening. But this is much more a, a Christmas tree that falls over and has an object on the top that can injure you. You know, just as bad luck. That's way better than animatronic killer Christmas trees. Yes. Yeah. Russell T. Davies has learned. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I thought was interesting was the doctor do another opening of an episode where the doctor is doing a narrative. Um, It Mm -hmm. it wasn't very Mm -hmm. common in the the, the new who in general. Um, There were a couple instances of it. Yeah, there were a few like with uh, Peter Capaldi did did some of that. Yeah. But. I wonder if this is a new thing they're going to they're going to do. Others have too. Yeah. Now, my suspicion is it's not going to be a regular thing. Yeah. It's been used periodically in the past to to get us into an episode and or out of an episode. Mm-hmm. And I suspect it's just an, an a writing, you know, technique they occasionally pull off the shelf, but I doubt it'll be regular. Mm. We do have our third Scottish doctor, although only two have been on Scottish on screen, shall we say, in their mm-hmm. in, the, in their accents and stuff, and I thought it was fun to see that. I like the Doctor's energy; he's very mm-hmm. energetic, much more so than anyone since um, Matt Smith, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, him dancing in the club wearing a kilt. I mean, it was all very that's very mm-hmm. evocative. They're they're setting a tone for the, the how this Doctor is going to be different from the last several. So it's I think that's right. interesting. I actually have three kilts and I wear them for dancing, but I do a completely different style of dancing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like I'm, I, I wear them for like English country dances, which are, yeah. are not <laughs> standing in one place, hopping around in a circle. Yes. The other thing that was interesting is Ruby's origin. And I feel like we're getting a look at our season arc. Russell T. Davies likes doing, you know, season long arch you know story arcs um and the mystery of ruby's origin um and who is the woman in the hood putting the baby on the steps of the church um my theory is that it's ruby herself um 
delivering her own self as a baby, mm-hmm. uh, that there'll be a, a weird timey wimey reason for that. I've seen other theories, like it's the uh, 13th doctor, which I kind of think is interesting. Yeah, it could, it could be Ruby herself doing the delivery, but I, I, I don't think they're going to go with, I'm my own mom. Oh, no, no, that's not what he meant. Yeah. I'm my own grandpa is enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the, if I'm up for that. She seemed a little bit tall for to be Ruby herself, but mm. cause Ruby's fairly short. But um, I don't know. I, I, I have a feeling it's somebody we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Because of course we got a whole season coming up, yeah. to introduce, yeah. Yeah. you know, you know. So I, I, I'm not ready to kind of make any predictions yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, my suspicion is it's a new character. They also in the in the uh, there's another actress, someone other than Millie Gibson, credited with playing that role. Oh, there was which okay. which could be misdirection because they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm suspecting it's a new character. Okay. Um. I also have to say my one of my in episode predictions was quickly dashed. I thought that the the baby that they were going to be getting to foster on Christmas Eve was going to be Ruby herself, who would be delivered to the past to grow up. Then um, mm. that was quickly dashed because clearly the baby <laughs> Lulabel is of a different race than Ruby, so uh, that that was clearly not not correct there. I, I I love that where they they find out her name. Oh, what a horrible name! What a terrible <laughs> name you have! And the doctor loves it. The yeah. doctor yeah. thinks it's awesome. And the 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 Sundays never mention to the doctor they think it's a terrible name, and the doctor never mentions to them he thinks it's a wonderful name. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of names, I my my in my head I keep calling her Ruby Tuesday. Like, yeah. you know, uh, and I do know that at some point no, in the season, you need to you need to break that habit, Dom, and say goodbye, Ruby Tuesday. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they do meet the Beatles, I think, this season. I, uh, they so do. Yeah, that, that might come nice. up. <laughs> but not the Rolling Stones. <laughs> but not, right, right. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's, that's a whole different thing. Um so I think the the they also did a very clever thing with the introduction of the Sonic with the cop. I thought that was a clever mm-hmm. way to have that come out. Yeah, I like this moment with the, so there's a moment early on in the story where the the doctor has been shadowing the goblins and all the mishaps that the goblins have been causing. That's actually how he first meets Ruby. It, he's in he's dancing in the nightclub and we don't realize it, but he's there because he's shadowing what the goblins are doing and the goblins are about to cause Ruby to drop a drink. And he mm. catches the drink and 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 she says, oh, sorry, I'm clumsy. And he says, no, you're not. It's worse than that. And then he leaves um, right. and he's he's shadowing the goblins as they're trying to pull down this giant Santa Claus balloon sculpture thing off of a building. Or it's, snowman. It's, or <laughs> snowman. Yeah. yeah. It, sorry. It's and it's got like framing of some kind under the fabric so it could hurt someone if the frame fell on you and actually the head pops off of it and falls on the doctor but he's okay he he's mm-hmm. he's inside of it it's kind of a buster keaton moment and a cop sees this and um says i got to report this and the doctor takes charge of the interview and says okay name the doctor uh residence that blue box over there purpose yeah. i'm just passing through um you know and he, oh, he he gets he deals with it very quickly you missed the best part though Name the doctor. Occupation, not a doctor. Yes, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. true. Yeah. That, is, that, is, that is the best part. Yeah. Um, but then the cop follows him over to the um, 
to the TARDIS and the doctor turns to him and essentially says, she's going to say yes. And the cop is confused. And the doctor says, the woman you're going to ask to marry you on Christmas day is going to say yes. And he's like, how do you know that? And the doctor has this, he says, well, my Sonic, and he's got this new Sonic that I'm not particularly wild about. It looks like two computer mice mating. Mm. Um, But, you know, uh, but he says, my Sonic just dinged. And that tells me that you've got a two carat diamond ring in your pocket, but uh, the sales don't start until Tuesday and you couldn't wait. So that tells me you're going to ask her on Christmas Day. And the fact that you paid all the extra money to be able to ask her on Christmas Day tells me she loves you and she's going to say yes. Right. And it's a very <laughs> nice little moment. Mm-hmm. It's just really cool. It takes us away from the story for a moment, but that's okay, you know, to have something, just a nice little moment like this. It's very Sherlock Holmes, you know, the, the noting the little yep. details and all that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, I agree on the Sonic, by the way. I don't love, it's like a round disc sort of thing instead of a... It, it's kind of it like, like two, two 1990s remote yeah. control thing, you know. Yeah, like it's yeah. just... You know, when they when they tried to do these kind of round designs with remote controls and TVs and stuff, and that's yeah. kind of what it looks like, and it's, yeah, it... And I agree with the mouse thing. It looks, you know, it looks like the front end of a mouse or. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't hate it as much as I hated the 13th Doctor Sonic. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not wild about it. Well, the 12th Sonic sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's talk about the goblins. And because mm-hmm. I think this is uh, Russell D. Davies introducing his new concept with Doctor Who, which is it's going to be more fairy tale, less science fiction because mm-hmm. these goblins aren't, they're not aliens. They're not, I, you know, I don't know what they're just sort of magical. In fact, someone's cause of magic and the doctor says, Oh, magic is just a science you don't understand or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, he right. says it's another aspect of physics that he's getting to learn about. Right. Right. I mean, they're kind of cryptids. <laughs> you might say mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're, they're earth creatures. Yeah. Are are they? Are are I don't know if they're earth creatures or not. If they are, they're crypto terrestrials, but I don't yeah. know that they're native to Earth. Right. Right. But yeah, they, as it really said, they they really didn't say that they were aliens or anything like that. Just but uh yeah. you know, I, I got I got a very uh definitely got a labyrinth uh feel mm-hmm. for the especially the scenes up in the ship. The David you know, Bowie definitely movie. felt like yeah. David Bowie movie, yeah. 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 Uh, yes, that was definitely a kidnapped baby, a goblin king rescuing the. Yeah, that's that's very much a that's the that's the plot of musical the labyrinth <laughs> musical. Uh, what did you think of the musical numbers, the the singing and and all that? Was it a weird distraction or? Oh, I could go with it. Um, the I mean, they've got the the, the I, I would have tweaked the lyrics you know, a bit, but goblins are magical creatures. They can sing in their spaceship if or their skyship if they want. And, um, and, and then having the doctor and Ruby join in that song, mm-hmm. which is, there's only the one song where the doctor and Ruby and the goblins sing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's only the one musical number in that sense, but having, having them join the song and bend it to their own purposes to fit in, I think that's totally fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's dark. That, it, <laughs> yeah. 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 They're singing about well, how they're about to eat a baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's that's where I got kind of the Labyrinth theme, because, of course, if you've seen the movie Labyrinth, it's mm-hmm. got David Bowie and there is quite a bit of singing, especially with the goblins and David Bowie. 
Mm-hmm. And, right. and they did kind of have a feel of, of you know, kind of a Jim, Jim Henson Muppets type feel to the goblins, even though they were, you know, animated, you know, they were right. computer graphics. Most of them, I think the musician, the, the musicians were actual humans in costume, but yeah, but yeah. most of them on the floor were just, you know, computer graphic. The Goblin King, of course, was computer graphic. Right. This was definitely this was definitely the Disney money coming out here. <laughs> the Goblin King didn't have very much like he didn't have any lines. He didn't really do anything except sit there with his mouth open, waiting to eat whatever was on the conveyor belt being yeah. sent to his to his face. That That's why I was I would tweak the lyrics, because in the Goblin song, the goblins are singing about how they got a baby and they're going to eat for three days. And it's mm-hmm. like there's. Um, okay, there's a lot of goblins here. Yeah. <laughs> Even with their small stature, unless they're unless they're eating tiny amounts, that baby's not gonna last three days. And yeah. and then it turns out it looks like none of them are gonna eat it except the goblin king and he's gonna eat the whole thing. Right. That was a little odd, but you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. I have this logic problem, you may have noticed. <laughs> My wife joins mm. you in that uh, she pointed it out as well. <laughs> well, this is definitely the fairy tale aspect of it there. Right. Uh, and then there's a whole thing uh, you know, with the goblin ship that the doctor gets into about the language of luck, the language of ropes, and like this whole idea that uh, the 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 goblin ship is it's not it's not built in a conventional sense out of you know screws and bolts and wiring or whatever, but out of ropes and this um, and luck in a sense, which is mm-hmm. it was kind of an interesting. Uh, Coincidence hard. and luck. Yeah. yeah. That, it's actually how the Egyptians built their ships. They didn't use screws or metal or nails or anything. They were tied together with ropes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But what I liked about that is the doctor, so as he's he figures that the ropes in the ship function like circuitry. Mm-hmm. And and he's figuring he's he's deducing this whole science of um of luck and coincidence on the fly. He does not know all this already. I, I he and he tells right. he, you know because Ruby assumes he already knows all this that he's this physics he's talking about and it's like no I'm figuring it out right now, right right and, uh, that was that was nice I mean it was nice to see the doctor back in the I don't know everything already right. phase, you know days like uh, like we had and, before and actually overjoyed that she he gets to learn something new right right um, he does get upset when Ruby calls the goblins time travelers because he's very clear they're time writers um mm-hmm. they're they, they, he's he's the doctor has often pointed you know disdained the more crude forms of time travel in the past uh, like mm-hmm. um what was it uh, captain jack's time device and and river songs vortex, time manipulator. vortex manipulator yes yes he, he disdains those cruder forms uh but it, yeah, it's time travel, Doctor. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's basically I that was that was his I'm not like them. I'm a time traveler, but I'm not like them. Yes. Type of. Yeah. Although at that point, he doesn't admit he's a time traveler. He just right. boasts about time travelers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He never he never actually tells her. She he just kind of figures out. She just kind of figures out at the end that, oh, he's a time traveler because he mentions going back. Mm-hmm. Yep. To where the goblins were and having hung out with Houdini uh, you yep. know, for mm-hmm. a summer. Um, it's interesting the, so we have the, these intelligent gloves that they use to hang on to the rope, the ladder. Um, and as soon as you see them and as soon as they have a limited power, um, uh, you mm. know, that's going to be a plot element for in the future. Uh, but Jimmy, as you pointed out in your recap, Russell T Davies is sticking with Mavity for yeah. gravity. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He, uh, he, I, I was, I, I was 
pleased to see that. Um, he describes, I, th- I thought I had it in my notes, but maybe I don't. Um, but he describes how the, oh yeah, I do. Uh, it, these gloves cancel out your mass and your weight and the ma- and mavity. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and so you can hang on to something without expending energy. You can also reverse the gloves so that you fall down. You can you can reverse them in another sense, which is what he does at the end to pull the there's a ladder attached to the ship and he pulls on. He uses the gravity, the Mavity gloves to pull on the ladder to yank the ship out of the sky mm. and impale it on the church steeple. Yeah. And um, and I'm OK with having Mavity as a little running in joke. That's fine. I am glad that the impaling of the Goblin King was bloodless. Um, they mm-hmm. they are keeping it more family friendly uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> in that. So that 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 was good. I'm, I'm very glad, glad for that. Uh, they are sticking with the timeless child, uh, as we yep. mentioned before, mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the, the giggle, when we talked about the giggle that there, that Russell T Davies says, no, that's now part of Dr. Who lore. So we're, we're sticking with the timeless child. And this, that's, it's a key plot element in this one because that's the revealing yep. the doctor is adopted. He's doesn't know his parents, all the, these things we learned about the timeless child. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And that's what ups the stakes for the goblins because now they it's like they initially they're going after Lulabelle mm-hmm. um and they weave um Ruby Sunday into the event because of her she's a Christmas Eve foundling and and that makes going to make the baby tastier but mm-hmm. then Lulabelle gets rescued and then the goblins discover the doctor is a foundling and he's a complex space-time event and he's here on Christmas Eve and Ruby's here. So now Ruby is really tasty and she becomes the target. Mm. Yep. But not as an adult, but as a child, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and that, that's such a great scene where they're kind of talking about that. And every time they mention the word coincidence, the, you know, thunder rumbles and the yeah. clouds build up and, <laughs> Oh, and that's a coincidence. And the doctor's, you know, kind of doing the fake smile. Yeah. Stop saying okay, coincidence. something's really bad here. <laughs> you know? I liked Mrs. Sunday, uh, Ruby's mom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was great. And, and, Carl, and her grandma, too. Cherry. Yeah, yeah. Cherry. Yeah. The uh, I have in my notes, nice to have a positive maternal figure. Because mm-hmm. uh, Carol, Carol Sunday is a really positive person. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we see her down on her luck in her in the dark timeline, um, but in the main timeline, she is a she's a really nice person. She's very generous and loving and positive. Um, I don't need to be told repeatedly that she's amazing, um, <laughs> but uh, but she's she's a very positive figure. And after Jackie Tyler mm-hmm. and Martha's mom mm-hmm. and Donna's mom. Yep. And Bill's mom. Yeah. I'm ready to have a positive maternal figure in the show. Right. And, well, and not and, just a positive maternal figure, but one that gives of herself so much that she's a do- or she's fostered 33 children over the course of like 20 years. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really like Carol Sunday. Yeah. She's great. Such a positive pro family, pro some I heard some of our listeners on our Discord pointed out a pro-life message. I mean, this is mm-hmm. about the, the how wonderful babies are, how wonderful family is. I mean, this is these are these are positive well, messages. And in in the dark scene, the doctor even mentions all those lives lost. Yes, right. It's those like, children that she didn't foster because she only fostered like five or six at that point in the dark scene. Right, right. 
and how how it affected her her not being if she didn't give love she it, it affected her negatively as well and that is such a fascinating true mm-hmm. statement is yeah. love makes us better people to love others well, they and okay. also f- affected Cherry as well, the the mm-hmm. grandmother, the grandmother too, right? She, you know, she because she was she was you know crotchety, but she was you know full of energy. Oh, yeah. in the regular timeline, but when the dark timeline, she was just depressed. Just wants a cup of tea. Yeah, <laughs> that's in the in the in the main timeline. In the, main in the timeline, dark, yeah. In the darkest timeline, she's just laying there being miserable. Yep. Yep. Um, but and and apparent and so early on, there's a setup line which I took note of where mm-hmm. um, where Carol says to Ruby, I don't know what who I'd be if I hadn't raised you. Um, mm-hmm. And but uh, they then show us who she would be if, if she hadn't raised Ruby and having to give love to someone and having to give love to Ruby specifically over a long period of time instead of quickie get 800 pounds to foster a child for a month or something. Um, but bonding with Ruby and, and raising her as her daughter and adopting her, that that brought out um, character in Carol and made her a more loving person. And mm-hmm. and that had ripple effects, you know, to all those other kids who got fostered and to Cherry Sunday. And so we do see how Ruby had a notable. It's just like George Bailey and it's a wonderful <laughs> life. Yes, we have, we have this fascinating web of people that we touch. Um, so. Uh, one, I want to talk about Mrs. Flood last of all, but before we get to that, I do want to note that everybody lives, including Davina McCall, mm-hmm. the host of the show where people find their genealogy and find their roots yep. and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, so let's talk about her for a minute. Yeah. Um, she is she's uh, the host of a TV show that that does DNA studies on people to try to connect them to their to their birth parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know people like Ruby who've been adopted. And for that to work, they or some of their relatives have to be in a DNA database. And we're and and so this is just how we found the Golden State Killer. Go listen to the episode of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, how we caught the Golden <laughs> State Killer. Um, but uh, so we early on, we at the beginning of the episode, we see Ruby appearing on her show and they explain what they're going to try to do with the DNA and they say there are no guarantees and so forth. And then um, she gets a call from from Ruby. Or she, Ruby gets a call from Davina McCall um, like on Christmas Eve. And she she does two things in the phone call. The first thing she does is she gives Ruby the bad news that they have no record of any relatives in any DNA database. Okay, this is the kind of news you don't deliver on Christmas Eve. (laughs) On her birthday and Christmas Eve, (laughs) which is also her birthday. Yeah, Yeah. you just like Davida McCall. This is a boneheaded move, (laughs) Um, but they do it to make the show work Um, in real life. You would never deliver this kind of news this way. Um, It's, it's a really rude and caddish thing to do. Um, Then she, she goes all in on the caddishness by saying, have you been having a lot of accidents lately? And it turns out Ruby has, and so has Davida. Um, But uh, it's kind of, comes out of the blue and it's sort of bad form to ask this question this way but i understand she's desperate 
at this mm-hmm. point. And so they have a little bit of desperation bonding about how do we make this stop? Mm-hmm. And it's at that point that because of the goblin's interference, the Christmas tree falls over and impales her head. We don't see this part, um, but we're given to infer that the star, the metal star on the top of the Christmas tree impaled her in the head and she mm-hmm. died. Mm-hmm. And, the, and then at the end of the episode, as the doctor is fixing the timeline, he after he fixes Ruby's part of the timeline, he then jumps back to Davida McCall and catches the Christmas tree as it's falling towards her. Yeah. Um, and so Davida McCall and he uses her name mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and 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 so she gets saved, too. And she had such bad luck that she was literally in a wheelchair with her foot in a cast and her arm in a sling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, as when the tree fell on her. I uh, should mention that Davina McCall is playing herself. She's actually a, a oh. presenter, a TV presenter in Britain. She was the, one of the original for Big Brother. The British mm. version of Big Brother. Uh, well, that um, would explain she's also, why she's such a cad. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, she's also she's also Order of the British Empire, so she mm. must, she must have done something right as a presenter. So, uh-huh. yes. Yeah, so that that she's playing herself in this. Oh, I didn't realize. Okay, cool. Well, that would explain why the Doctor who knew knew who she was. She was apparently mentioned in the uh, first season Ninth Doctor story, Bad Wolf. Um, hmm. I don't think she appears, but she's m- name checked according to the TARDIS wiki. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, so let's talk about Mrs. Flood. Mrs. Flood is the Sunday's neighbor um, who we first see her complaining about this blue box sitting on the on the sidewalk, blocking the, <laughs> the, 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 the sidewalk. Blame, uh, blaming the landlord for it. Yeah, that's right. Was, uh, was Abdul the landlord? Or a, that's what I guess. Or I, another neighbor or, or somebody. A neighbor yeah. or something like that. But yeah. she just, she's, she's assumed he must be responsible. Uh, but Jimmy, as you, you said in the recap, at the very end, she sees the doctor, you know, the she sees the TARDIS dematerialize. So she's mm-hmm. aware that it is something unusual. Uh, and then, we see her next sitting in her chair in, on her front, sort of her front stoop, you know, in front of her, her front door, um, watching the doctor run out and in and, and Ruby. And we get this moment where she, you mentioned, she tells Ruby to go to the TARDIS to go inside. And we get the whole it's big on the inside moment. Um, and then which which Ruby never says, never says she, yeah. she she acts out her amazement. Yes. Right. Um, and then she tells Ruby good luck which is interesting. Like what is, what does she know? And then, as you mentioned, she breaks the fourth wall at the end and says, well, you've never seen a TARDIS before. So she knows what a TARDIS is. So Jimmy, what's, what's you, you, you said to me, you have might have a theory about what's going on here. Well, sure. Um, so fandom has been a Twitter about this and there's all kinds of speculation about who Mrs. Flood might be. I will name the, uh, the possibilities and then I will tell you my theory. Um, First theory, she's the one who waits because she spends a lot of time that the the toy maker referred to and ran from because most for most of the episode, she's sitting there on her porch waiting. Um, Possible theory number two, she's the boss that um, that uh, beep the me preferred to theory number three. She's Susan. Theory number four, she is a relative of Ruby's, possibly her mother or grandmother. Uh, next theory, she's Tecteyun. Next theory, she's the master. Next theory, she's the Rani. Next theory, she's the meddling monk. Next theory, she's a relative of 
Amy Pond because Amy Pond and River Song, Mrs. Flood, maybe she's a member of that clan. I don't think she's any of those things. I think the, <laughs> the fans are overreading here. Um, I mean, she I could I could be wrong. She could turn out to be someone we've met before like that or someone that's been set up before, like the one who waits. Um but I don't think that's the case. If you if you look and I went back and I rewatched all of her parts of this episode to see what happened in them. And she has a she has a story arc in this episode as a character. She starts as this neighbor lady who is friendly with Ruby, but is having a dispute with Abdul, who I took to be a neighbor, who she says never liked her. And she's complaining about the TARDIS which she identifies as a police box because Ruby asks what it is. And she says, it's a police box. I haven't seen, seen one on London streets in 50 years. Um, so that suggests she's a long, at least taking the data at face value. She's a long-term resident of London who's been here for over 50 years, knows what a police box is and thinks the TARDIS is a police box. The next time we see her, it's when the doctor is running, uh, to the TARDIS to go back into the past to fix Ruby's to fix uh, Ruby's element of the timeline. He hops in the TARDIS. It d disappears. And in the background, coming up the sidewalk, we see Mrs. Flood returning from shopping. She's got a couple of shopping bags. She drops the shopping bags and stares at the disappearing TARDIS in amazement. So it's like she didn't expect the police box to do that. Um, then as the doctor, she goes and she sits on her porch and has little brief conversations with the doctor as he's going around in the TARDIS to fix different things. She refers to the TARDIS initially as a box, as your box of tricks. And, um, and so she sees the TARDIS appear and disappear in different places multiple times in a short space of time. And then she she wishes Ruby good luck. Uh, the door to the TARDIS at that point is slightly open and she nods for Ruby to go in. Um, and then she turns to the camera at the end and smiles and says, never seen a TARDIS before and winks. The only thing taking all that data together, what it looks like is she was an ordinary neighbor woman who thought this was a police box, saw it vanish in front of her, and then had conversations with the doctor as he was repeatedly materializing and dematerializing, and she learned about the TARDIS that way. Maybe she, um, maybe she uh, even took a trip on the TARDIS. Maybe that's why mm -hmm. the door was open. You know, maybe she's a crypto companion or something, but I I don't think she's any of the other things The at least I mean, she could turn out to be. But based on the data in the episode, she looks like a neighbor who learned about the TARDIS by seeing it work and talking to the doctor. I, I think another possibility is that we mm -hmm. will see her character, but at a much younger age. Mm -hmm later in the yep, season could be could be you know you see something like and, and i'm sure you know they can do something like she's you know it's before she gets married to mr flood whoever he was and you know and oh by the way i'm gonna get married next week and it's to the so-and-so flood and the doctor kind of goes oh you know and that's kind of the right. end of the episode type of deal you know but i don't, I don't know um 
I, I don't want it to be Susan. I don't want it to be the Ronnie. I don't, you know, I want her to be someone that has encountered the doctor before, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, of course, it, you know, again, if it was 50 years or whatever it was, maybe that was the hint of when it's going to have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, like the doctor will go back. Cause I know there's an episode where they go back into the seventies. Yeah. So cause by dressing by the judging by the dress of the doctor. So maybe it's uh, maybe that's when it happened. And she, encountered the TARDIS then and she's she's just thinking it's a police box at first but then that scene where she sees it materialize it goes oh it's that police box right, right. kind of thing and that's a possibility that occurred to me um I I would be happy to see Mrs. Flood in the future in another episode, even as a, as a younger agent, and and see exactly that. It would shed interesting light and context and explain, you know, like why does she wish Ruby good luck and things like that. That implies mm-hmm. she knows what a companion is. Mm. Yep. Um, but I also don't. I don't want her to be Susan or yeah. those others. I want I want Caroline Ford, Susan mm-hmm. back. <laughs> yeah. And there's some indication that she may be coming back. I mm. based on little hints that or what may be hints that Russell Davies has dropped. I hope so. <laughs> I feel like the the last bit there, the the fourth wall break was Russell T. Davies himself in the sense, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to speak directly to new and old fans. And mm-hmm. I think that because that's been a big emphasis is how they're trying to grow the audience for Doctor Who. You know, now that I think about it, there's no other explanation in this episode of what a TARDIS is. I don't think the word appears mm-hmm. anywhere nope. else in the episode. So that could also play play an, an audience education function for the new fans on Disney+. Plus. That thing you just saw is called a TARDIS. Right. right. Um, also, the, uh, the fourth wall break on Christmas, I think there's an allusion there to the Feast of Stephen yeah. from the first Doctor's time, which is the other time we've had a deliberate fourth wall break on Christmas on Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if we'll start the new season with, a, with an introduction of what the TARDIS is. <laughs> yeah. It's an explanation to Ruby by the Doctor, probably. Yeah. You know, and, and some and doesn't have to explicitly be him, him explaining to her, but, you know, some some way that it'll be there will be an exposition of what the TARDIS is. Yeah. So that's that brought us to the end of the episode. Father Corey, any other notes on the Church on Ruby Road? Um, well, I did have this year. I, I got a kick out of the fact that the Goblin ship has Jeffrey's tubes, even though they're a bit more primitive. <laughs> I was thinking more John McClane uh, in Nakatomi Plaza, but yeah, yeah that too. <laughs> that, that's true too. That's true too. But of course it's a ship, so it's gotta be yeah, Jeffrey's tubes. That's right. Um, and then the, the I love the line about the you know the classic Polaroid. You can't feel for that. Wait long long enough, it just comes back into popularity. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Which the, like is the doctor, uh, Jimmy? How about you? Any other notes? Nope. Awesome. All right. So I did promise some feedback. So let's get right to that because we have so much. Our first one is a bit of a more general feedback from Jacob, who sent in an email, who wrote. Uh, In the Angels Take Manhattan, way back in the 10th Doctor's time, Rory and Amy were sent back to the 1930s, lived long and happy lives, and then died. 11th Doctor's time. Sorry, I always do that. I don't know why I mix those two up. And then, but had not Rory, the last centurion, guarded Amy for a thousand plus years as his robot self? As such, why would he now grow old and die? What am I missing here? Thank you for relating your understanding of this element to Doctor Who lore that has been vexing me for some time. I enjoy listening to your recordings and most every evening and look forward to the current episodes as well. Yeah. So the I don't blame you for missing this because I don't think 
Stephen Moffat explained it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently, my understanding of what happened is r- when Rory came back after being erased from history by the cracks in time, he came back as an auton. But mm-hmm. he, when they rebooted the universe in the Big Bang, he became a human again. Yes. And so he has memories of having been an auton Roman centurion who guarded the Amy in the um, uh, the Pandorica, Pandorica uh, for 2000 years. But now he's back to being a human again. Yeah. This was actually my confusion, which you helped me clear up when we talked about it at the time. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah. it's it's easy to, to, to get confused about that. Yeah. Um, our next feedback uh, is on our discussion of uh, Hellbent, which was our last episode. Uh, Jennifer wrote in via email, like I said before, there is a fairy tale theme going on here. This time it's Beauty and the Beast Part 2 with Clara. But who is the beast? She does call the Time Lords monsters and her diner girl dress looks like Belle's dress from the animated Disney film. This is the weirdest Doctor Who season finale I've ever seen. And that ending is so annoyingly lame. Also, I don't like a shoulder. I don't like her attitude. I don't like her makeup or the way her hair is styled. I just do not like her. She looks like a witch. I did enjoy Heaven Sent with its solitary feel and the Grimm story about the like Grimm's fairy tale story about the mountain and the bird. But this episode's so stupid. If the writers want to return to Gallifrey, that's great. Can they at least do it in a way that is more dignified or more satisfying? As always, I love the podcast. I, I was almost expecting to hear it. I do not like her, Sam. I, I know. I was thinking. <laughs> green, I, was, I was thinking green eggs and ham too. Yeah. Um, it's never. It doesn't really occur to me to dislike her her makeup or the way she fixes her hair, but I agree. I, uh, I, 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 I don't like a shoulder either. <laughs> and, and Dom, you said this before, so I got to say it. How do we know she's a witch? <laughs> she <didn't laughs> need to throw her into the pond. <laughs> yeah. Does she what else floats? <laughs> a duck. <laughs> she weighs more than a pebble. Uh, always get to quote money Python. What Brett. else? Flo- what else floats in water? <laughs> uh, churches, churches. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, Brett sent in this email. So the doctor forgot Clara in Hellbent, and yet he seems to remember her completely when the toy maker mentions her death. I know it was mentioned that the doctor could piece things together from the missing parts of his memory, but he seems to completely remember her when talking about her death in the toy maker episode. I don't like character forgets person slash event stories anyway, since it should in theory destroy a lot of a person's character arc, but at least stick with it. My understanding from the end of Hellbent is that the doctor remembers that Clara existed mm-hmm. um, and he remembers his adventures with her, but he can't remember the details of what she looked like or how her voice sounded or things like that. So he can't identify her. Um, it's like when you lose a loved one, if you don't have video recordings of them, you can for or photographs. You can forget mm-hmm. the details of their face or their mm-hmm. mannerisms or how their vocal inflections. Um, and so I, but I think he remembers factually uh, what happened with Clara. You would have to with all the things that went on with, with between the eleventh and twelfth Doctor, right? Like he wouldn't remember Missy at all when he got mm-hmm. to you know the the season with Bill. Well, if that were the case, and it was it was it was like the the Daleks where the Doctor got erased from the Daleks database as they recreated him from mm-hmm. the gaps he left, right? And right. this is the same thing here. And of course, at twice at the end of Twice Upon a Time, he does remember her. He remembers who she is and what she looks like right, and everything. Right, that does get restored. Yeah, there's also, I was also going to mention, the doctor's memory is just inconsistent. Different yeah. doctors remember different things. Yep. 
All right, so let's talk about our feedback from The Giggle. Jason wrote in on our YouTube, uh, I was against the idea of bringing back David Tennant because of what that does to Jodie Whittaker. People will keep comparing uh, uh, Shudi Gatwa to David Tennant, which will do Shudi a disservice. Do you guys think it's a disservice? Well, it depends on how good Shudi is. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, David Tennant is a beloved doctor, but, you know, he's... Fans can be critical of David Tennant, and and I and Russell T Davies has at least said things about Shooty Gatwa that make it sound like he thinks Shooty's going to knock it out of the park. So you know it's it kind of a kind of a um, kind of a gamble, you mm-hmm. know, of will he will he be able to be to be as beloved as David was? Um, on the other hand, I I can't really. Blame, I can't really blame Russell T. Davies for bringing David back. Number one, he needed to do the 60th anniversary specials, and that would be really hard with a brand new doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so how do you celebrate the show when the doctor, 60 years of the show, when the doctor is someone we've never met before? Yeah. Um, so they, they needed to bring back at least one old doctor. They, they, they classically have brought back multiple old doctors, but I understand the reasons for not doing that. Um, so they brought back just one old doctor as David Tennant as the celebratory 60th anniversary doctor. And frankly, um, you know, I, I, I don't care that it's, that it makes Jody look bad in comparison because <laughs> Jody was bad in comparison, and I'd rather watch good doctors than than mediocre at best doctors. Mm. Um, so I guess those are my thoughts. I guess that would be like saying, you know, how could he cast Sylvester McCoy? He would make uh, Colin Baker look so bad. Yeah. No, Colin Baker made Colin Baker look so bad. <laughs> yeah. And um, the writers of the Colin Baker. And, and the writers at the yeah. time. Yeah. Too. And, and fans have always compared doctors. You know, right. we'd have discussions and, you know, at some point someone, one of us would say, oh, you know, the 10th doctor is kind of drawing on Tom Baker here a little bit, or he's got second doctor vibes or something like that. You know, that's always kind of been a part of with the, the as the regenerations have gone on, you know, we compare them to other yeah. doctors. That's just, it's just, that's what fans do. You know, and and I, I and I, I would disagree. I, I'd say they could have had the 60th special mm-hmm. with a, a brand new doctor. I mean, after all, they started out the series with a brand new doctor. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think it was the first time we've had a brand new doctor for one of the big specials that, that I think it's. That well, we started out like that's the, the, the first of the 60th yeah. was a regeneration episode. Yeah. Post regeneration episode. Put an asterisk on the war doctor, <laughs> I suppose. I was just going to mention him. If we have had <laughs> yeah. a brand new doctor in, a, yeah. in an anniversary <laughs> special before. He just wasn't the, the only one. The, he, and he wasn't the new we're going to see him again. He was one shot. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, Coda commented on our YouTube. It was OK. The giggle. But how was this a 60th anniversary special? Um I wish you'd expanded on that, Kodo, on what your complaints were, because I'd, I'd love to have that discussion. But well, yeah, so so I don't think there's any one thing that it, that an anniversary special has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are certain characteristics that um, need to be present for something to be an effective anniversary special. The first thing is it needs to tell a big dramatic story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing in order to, as an anniversary special, as opposed to just a special, it needs to, in some way, reference or incorporate elements of the show's history. 
Um, that's why the very first an- anniversary special, the 10th anniversary special, they brought back the two previous doctors, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the third doctor's time. And they tried the same thing with much less successful results for the 20th anniversary special in the uh, fifth doctor's time with the five doctors. And then at the 25th anniversary, they, um, they, uh, they brought they didn't bring back old doctors, but they brought back a classic villain, the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. And then for the fiftieth uh, anniversary, they brought back a couple of older doctors, one of whom was brand new, and they dealt with the time war. So it was a big story. And so I think that really all you need is uh, for an anniversary special is it needs to be a big dramatic story and it needs to incorporate elements of the show's past. And they did that here. You know, we mm-hmm. had we had, you know, David Tennant back. We had Donna Noble back. We had Melanie Bush back. Mm-hmm. We had mm-hmm. Unit back. We had the Toymaker back. Um, so it definitely pulled in elements of the show's history. And it was a big dramatic story because it was a regeneration story. Well, and the in, in the first of the specials, they brought back a classic uh, enemy that from comics and mm-hmm. other formats, yep. you know. And so again, that that's doing kind of that too, bringing bringing them back. So, and I I, I know I said when we talked about this episode, it's the, the the specials don't need to be these big super, you know, lots of explosions and all that kind of stuff. There was plenty of that in in the giggle, but. There doesn't really need to be that. Just a good story yeah. is a big part of it. Uh, Nathan on our YouTube writes, Jimmy's pipe holder on his table looks like a version of the TARDIS console. <laughs> Are you sure it's not? <laughs> if you're all watching the uh, our video on our YouTube channel, you can see it for yourself. I have the roundels in my room set to invisible. There's a perception <laughs> filter. Yeah. <laughs> Scholastico on our Discord writes, when they revealed that Stooky Bill was in every screen ever since the invention of television, they implied that he got there through visual transmissions. Since images since then get transmitted one way or another into the air or ether, they immediately go to any screen they could find thanks to the Toymaker. I think it's a brilliant reveal that comments on the history of mass media. Okay. De gustibus non est disputandum. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you appreciated it. I respect your opinion. I thought they didn't explain it clearly enough. They did provide an explanation, but it went by so fast yeah. that I think they could have, thinking from a writing perspective, I think they could have conveyed that information a bit better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ted writes, that's, that's just yeah. my view. Ted writes uh, via email, I enjoyed Giggle and the three specials with David Tennant and with RTD as the showrunner. I think they were in for some good stories with 15. There was discussion about Neil Patrick Harris playing multiple villain roles. I think that the reason he is so real as a villain is that we first meet him, or at least those of us of a certain age, as Doogie Hauser, And the contrast between the young, innocent character and the adult villain is effective. Could you say that Doogie Hauser's doctor was a teenage version of the doctor in a different timeline? Sure. (laughs) The explanation of the multi-generational doctor shed some light on the reasoning behind the ending. On first view of the episode, I hated the ending, but with the explanation that was given, it makes sense. With 10 slash 14 living in suburbia and with his own TARDIS, TARDIS, (laughs) this could open future (laughs) adventures for the 14th Doctor. With Disney now involved, they may exploit the possibility of multiple Doctor Who series, which could be good, but it opens the possibility of oversaturation. 
We have seen this with some of the Marvel adventures and the Star Wars spinoffs and interest in Doctor Who might be diminished. Now, I'll get to his last, last point after you respond to that. Yeah, I don't think the problem is oversaturation with Marvel or Star Wars. I think the problem is the material they've been cranking out sucks. Mm. Um, I think you could sustain multiple. I mean, I agree that Disney and the BBC could damage the franchise if they produce a bunch of stuff that is mediocre. Um, But if they produce a bunch of stuff that's good, I think, I mean, we've, we, we, we're getting nine episodes of, uh, of Doctor Who a year, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. if they, if they could, they could do a Doctor Who, you know, uh, they could do two or three or four Doctor Who series a year. They could do technically do five if they're nine episodes. So they could they could do spinoff things. And I know they're talking about it and planning to. They could basically fill up the entire year with Doctor Who content and that wouldn't ruin it. I mean, back in the day, that's what they did. I mean, TV mm-hmm. series used to be monstrously long. They would they would f- they would fill basically a whole year with a few weeks for repeats. And um, so I don't think it's I think they could produce give us a show a week for a long time as long as they're good. And Mm -hmm. that's the real trick. See, I'd like to see them, you know, if they're going to go back to previous doctors and have adventures with them, do it kind of the big finish format of just have like one or two episodes with this doctor, you know, have like a anthology, a a range anthology. Yeah. Yeah like an anthology series with, so you don't just have like a series of the 14th doctor, right. but you might have one or two episodes of the 14th doctor and one or two episodes with the seventh doctor and something like that. I, and, I, I would, I would, so I, I agree with many of the doctors, the actors are old enough. Now they would have a hard time pulling off a whole series. I would make an exception. The eighth doctor. Mm, I would oh, yeah. love to see a full yes. series of the eighth doctor. I agree. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. And Paul uh, McGann is is fit enough and young enough he could do it. Oh yeah. Well, and that's and that's something they could use to explore the start of the time war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whole you know, like they could go like a year or two before the time war, or you know, mm-hmm. and kind of move up into it mm-hmm. and kind of explore some of that. And Definitely. they've got all kinds of big finish they could recycle for that purpose. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and then finish off Ted's uh, email now to address the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room. Yes, the redhead issue. I believe that Leela was the first redhead, and she was excluded from the discussion. Uh, I hope you all have a blessed Christmas and a safe and healthy 2024. Yeah, she was a little, little too stabby to <laughs> stab, stab. I, I, no. I don't, I don't think that that Leela was a redhead. I think she's a brunette. But you yeah, know, that's what like, I thought it, too. It can be hard to tell with the makeup and the the, the, the cinematography and that sort of thing. Hmm. Uh, Tim writes in an email: Listening to Secrets of Doctor Who makes me want to watch more Doctor Who, and watching Doctor Who makes me want to listen to you guys more. It's a self feeding cycle, and I love it. And Jimmy, thanks for not giving away the secret conspiracy that redheads have against all those non-redheads. I'll see you at the next secret meeting in the exclusive section for men with epic red beards. And remember, the password is sunburn. Well, you know, I I always honor secrets, so I would never reveal such a thing. Thank you very much, and aloe vera gel. <laughs> Doug's Film and TV on YouTube writes, good review of The Giggle. I will say this was a story was a great way to celebrate 60 years of the show. I love Neil Patrick Harris as the toy maker, and I could see him play the Joker. My question is, who do you think is the one who is waiting? I know that Harbo Holmes said that the one who is waiting could be Fenric, and Fenric has played the Doctor before. 
I don't know who um, who the one who waits is going to be. I suspect it may be a new character. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I tend not to. I know fans really like to speculate about who might be returning and and predictions that I see on on um, like YouTube commentators are almost always wrong. Um, I and and writers. I, I know Russell T Davies right now is in a introduce new villains mode because they don't want the series and he's doing the same thing he did in 2005 to a significant extent. They don't want to, to burden. They're trying to bring in a new audience. They don't want to burden them initially with, so who are the Daleks and who are the Cybermen and who is the master and all that kind of stuff. Um, So I would suspect that the one who waits is likely to be new. I could be wrong. But that's what I would suspect. Um, Incidentally, uh, so I don't know about seeing Neil Patrick Harris as the Joker, but um, I was also going to say in response to our previous correspondent, yes, I remember Doogie Howser, MD, um, Mm -hmm. which was Neil Patrick Harris's kind of breakthrough series where he played a, a, a doctor in his like early teens. Yeah. Um, who was meant to be like a child prodigy that raced through college and medical school. Um, and so I remember him from, from that, but I've also seen him. I was, I was going to say Neil Patrick Harris plays uh, such good villains because he's evil. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not that I know that, but I have seen him play villains before and he mm-hmm. does it very well. Um, he's, he's a villain in, and he plays a kind of villain that can be vulnerable. Which is mm-hmm. which is really good, you know. Um, if someone's over the top and flexible, you know, um, just invulnerable, it makes them less interesting. He even brought a little bit of vulnerability of the toy maker, who was as who was as cranked up to eleven as I've seen him do for villains. Mm-hmm. But like, if you if you watch uh, Gone Girl, he's a villain in that that has vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. If you watch, uh, he actually plays a super villain of comic book style in Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Um, and he's a really good supervillain. He's also really vulnerable. Um, mm-hmm. He's this supervillain wannabe. He's he's Dr. Horrible. He really wants to get into the evil league of evil so bad. Um, but he's still trying to work up the nerve to talk to this girl he sees in the laundromat. You know, and 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 so I've seen him do villainous roles before, and I think he did it very well here. He also did uh, Count Olaf in a series of unfortunate events, which is another. Ah, I've never villainous. seen that one. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty good in that. Uh, then our last feedback comes from the Cloister Bella Journey Through Time and Space on our YouTube, who writes, "Thank you very much for the shout out, gentlemen. Your podcasts have become one of my go tos. Always very much fun, entertaining, and informative. A very comfortable watch and listen as well. I wanted to w- mention one thing about the giggle. The actor who played Charlie, whose name is Charlie Demello, was on Coronation Street. He was foster father to Kelly Nealon, who was played by the current companion." Ruby Sunday, the actress Millie Gibson. I look forward to your discussion on the church on Ruby Road and cheers from Canada. Yes. As we've said before, everyone who's a British actor in in the UK eventually ends up on Doctor Who and probably Coronation Street, too. (laughs) Coronation Street or EastEnders or one of those popular. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I have never seen any of those except for Dimensions in Time, which was did not encourage me to want to see any more of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) 
All right. That is all of our feedback. Thank you all so much. Uh, as we begin to wrap things up, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Cheryl G, Corey N, Aaron V, Thomas S and Paul R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to know what you thought of The Church on Ruby Road. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Send an email to Who at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Or you can watch The Secrets of Doctor Who on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media, where you should, of course, uh, click the like button and subscribe. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the sixth Doctor Big Finish story, The Ratings War, featuring Beat the Meep. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the series of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everyone out there. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, a ladder in the sky, and I'll give that a go, baby. <laughs> <laughs>